I think that um, the Bureau is just more energized than other um, agencies on the consumer financial protection front. And I think that was also still true under Trump, but that we know we didn't have as much reporting on that, although I know you did a lot of of, of that, but in general, um, they were still that way. Yeah, I think I think there was definitely sort of less focus under the Trump administration. I don't know that it meant they weren't still doing the mission. I'm not sure what your view is on how it changed under Trump. It did change, but um, in in different ways, because there were still a lot of, you know, enforcement actions happening, I think, behind the scenes. That's exactly right. Uh, I mean, I think that the... um inherent character of the agency, you know, being very, you know, kind of entrepreneurial, innovative, trying to do things differently to protect consumers, you know, pushing the boundary to bring novel legal claims. I think they still did. Yes. All, they did all of those things under Biden right. and Trump and now under Biden. But um, my comment was just that, you know, these days there's a lot of headlines about you know, CFPB resurrected from the ashes. And I, I just right. don't think accurate because I don't think it ever went away. That, that's true. That's true. Anybody covering it would know behind the scenes there was still a lot going on, even if they didn't end up with a lot of uh, big, big headlines, if you will. I mean, right. legal actions take a while. Um, right. And I, I think it took, I, other than the year that McMulvaney was in charge, I think it took uh, Kathy Craninger, you know, a certain amount of time to get up to speed. And, and she did further, as you're saying, they did take um, novel, you know, continue to bring novel legal claims. I, right. I just think she didn't get um, sort of called out for it in perhaps the same way that uh, Richard Cordray did. Yes, I think that there was less um, scrutiny on the activity of the CFPB during um, the Trump administration as compared to under um, when when Richard Cordray was at the helm and to try to deploy the resources evenly across all 18 consumer finance enumerated statutes and then UDAP and then military lending. Under President Trump, there was this opportunity that was missed, which was, um, you know, there's a natural intellectual intersection between hey, you know, let's promote a populist agenda to help bring consumers along who have been left behind by Washington and let's bring about more financial inclusion, protect military borrowers. And that would have naturally fit with CAPB mission on veteran protection or um, consumer finance, uh, I guess, in uh enactment of, you know, new regulation that might be more beneficial for a populist agenda, but that did not happen. So we're seeing some interesting stuff uh, that came in the unified agenda on small business lending for anti-discrimination. Oh, uh, that's yes. section 1071. And that was already in the works before, um, it was. before Chopra was nominated, but um I think there, it's very telling uh, that the the priority of you know fair lending 
is already being emphasized um, here as we speak, given 1071. And then the digital and technology issues. Um, I think there will be a great emphasis on this sort of like the concept that all of us consumers now are digital natives and how this influences the way that you know bank and non-bank customers access financial services and one underpinning of all of that is this financial data access yeah so yeah. that's the 1033 rulemaking uh that the CFPB's already started which now they're also highlighting in this unified agenda so you know uh, chopra at the ftc has uh, written extensively about technology, about te large technology companies, um, and it has been fairly critical of them. So what's your sense of uh, the 1033 rulemaking and sort of where he stands in that area? Well, I mean, I think that um, currently, um, you know, there's a large volume of comment letters at the enforcement, excuse yeah. me, the Bureau uh, rulemaking staff have already begun uh, parsing through. And I think that, um, I think there's, if I'm not mistaken, there were 17 questions in the RFI. And um, when, you know, when Chopra takes the helm, if he's confirmed, I think the Bureau will thoroughly, you know, investigate all the issues <laughs> and not really yeah. leave on the cutting room floor uh, in, in terms of the concerns that they have about um, consumers' right to financial data access, uh, whether that be on um, substantive privacy or cybersecurity or technical standards uh, for in you know error resolution. I, I think that they'll be very um, active and you know vigorous in in trying to make that 1033 rule as uh, as broad and as um, you know forceful as it as it possibly can be. Right. Yes. Broad, not narrow. Right. I mean, one of the questions I think in there was who should be covered in the scope, because right. it wasn't even clear in the statute necessarily. So, um, I mean, I think that. Uh, it's the bureau has already begun, you know, soliciting public comment, and um, that work will continue, you know, in full force as um, the new leaders comes on board. Um, so I'm interested also in this idea of what you're talking about, novel legal theories. Yes. Um, uh, do, do you see the eviction moratorium as 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 falling under that? And also, what other areas do you think they're going to? go into? Well, I think that um, one of the most novel issues that I believe are kind of like more cross-cutting and kind of far-reaching than just, um, you know, eviction or foreclosure, but, it, you know, arguably encompasses that too, is this uh, this um, second, second point that I was going to make about Chopra's leadership and how that squares away with the current scholarship on consumer protection. Okay. So in the realm of UDAP, um, there are federal court case precedents where 
the judges determine in a given circuit um, which consumer perspective applies for certain flavors of UDAP. So like, let's take the flavor of deception. Um, when you're trying to determine if a practice of a company was uh, misleading and if the consumer's reliance on that misrepresentation was reasonable, the next question that gets asked in these cases is, well, um, whose version of reasonableness applies? A very uh, sophisticated consumer who does a lot of transactions or an uh, unsophisticated, unsophisticated consumer who may have a different level of education and literacy or expectation. Yes. And interestingly, believe it or not, in different circuits, it's a different consumer. Um, you know, like, for example, we have the least sophisticated consumer standard. And it's not an insult thing. It's, a, it's like similar to tort law, you know, like who is the yes. reason? Yeah, who's the reasonable man? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. And so, um, so I think that this issue, you know, in the legal scholarship, because I know you were asking about the treatise and everything, um, it, it's it's a pretty novel issue now because as we're going digital and yeah. there are new, new forms of consumer lending products and new new kinds of products that haven't existed before that are um, arguably credit, but maybe not credit. Uh, yes. There's a host of issues and questions under the law uh, based on the market as it currently stands on how to determine what practice is reasonable um, or unreasonable. And this entire sort of mechanism that I'm describing is sort of the same um, point as this decades-long debate about what should the role be of the government in consumer financial protection? <laughs> should ah. you know? Uh, should the products be labeled as you know inherently harmful or even outlawed, like an exploding toaster? Uh, you know, yes, there, like, yes, yes. Model of talking about the CFPB work, uh, or um, should some people just be recognized as needing? high cost loans because of risk-based pricing, it's built into the price of the credit and the APR will be high. So it's better to still nevertheless give consumers access to choices. Right. So they're protected in that way, as long as we don't lie and as long as everything's labeled correctly. And this is still a very active debate, I believe, in many CFPB cases, even now. And I think that as Chopra, um, you know, kind of comes aboard, it'll be interesting to see if his experience in um, inheriting the CFPB's challenges will cause Chopra to change his, his trajectory or or if it'll kind of stay um, in, in the same direction as it as it was when he was a com commissioner. And what what where would you say it has been at the CFPB? Where has the CFPB taken the least sophisticated consumer approach? I'm assuming they have. Uh, well, I would say that across the spectrum, just in general, yeah, the default is more the idea that um, that 
merely um, merely having disclosures is not enough, but yes. that they, they should, you know, the, the government has a role to do everything possible under the law and, you know, maybe sometimes even in stretching the law <laughs> to, yeah. um, to protect people from products that are inherently not consumer friendly. Don't you think he will take an expansive view of UDAP? And I, I, I really wonder if, uh, how the abusive definition is going to go. Uh, yes, I think he, I think he'll, I think that, um, well, well, the other thing is because Chopra was a leader of the FTC, he's uniquely positioned as having so much expertise on the, on the Fair Trade Commission's UDAP jurisprudence under Section 5. So I, yeah. I think there'll be a lot of um, you know, opportunity he'll take to um, apply UDAP in more creative ways and leverage the full panoply of previous FTC case precedent to argue that the FTC model, you know, is a good springboard for the CFPB on, on, in terms of what is the definition of UDAP. And, um, yep. and I, I do think inherently that uh, because, you know, there's one kind of legal school of thought, which is that if you have a statute and it, it says something it, it, you know, in order to give it the best interpretation um, of what it should say, it has to mean something different than what the other provisions say. So the, I think I butchered that, but, but the idea is that um, abusive needs to mean something different than unfair and deceptive. That's right. That's right. And, And so I think Chopra will be, you know, very well positioned because of his expertise at the FTC at being able to ensure that abusive is something that is um, different. And uh, I think that even if even if you had a Republican um, CFPB director, if if you had if you had the rule that you want abusive to be different, it'll necessarily be bigger because of the way that um the Dodd-Frank Act words abusive, you know, like taking unreasonable advantage of consumers who are acting reasonable. And it's so broad that, um, you know, if if you take that principle that it should be different, it's almost impossible to say that it should be less. Like, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Kraninger under, you know, the definition they were, they were trying to craft. Yes. I think sought to narrow it. Her right, so they had the abusiveness policy statement, and interesting, you know, it's like um, we could probably have a conversation about that. Like I, I point to the yeah. fifth third bank case where yeah, okay they brought that under after I think that policy statement was issued. So. Yeah. Like one of the principles of that policy statement was um, that uh, we won't we won't charge you know abusive where it's ambiguous why we're saying it's abusive and we won't just use it all the time as a tag along case to charge when we can just say it's unfair and I, I think you're right I think that in in a way. 
the policy statement try to limit abusive, and that's one way to do it is sort of promising that we won't use it unless it's absolutely necessary. But in the fifth third case, the bureau did exactly what they promised that they would not do. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is charge the same conduct as being both unfair and abusive. So I, yes, I agree with you that they attempted to limit it, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. They didn't, uh, can I even go farther and say that the statute makes it hard for them to limit it? I mean. Uh, that's interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it, I think the policy statement, at least my sense from industry, is it went over with a bit of a thud. It wasn't it wasn't what industry wanted. Um, it it may have been less definitive than they wanted. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are. Yes, I agree with that. I, I think that it, it repeated a lot of things that were already obvious and. I don't know. It, it seemed to me more of like a a statement for like messaging than actually relating ah. to the actual yeah. work that they do. 